sing, how we worship. Help us to be recognized as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Philip Brand. If you're visiting with us or if you're watching for the first time online, um, <clears throat> I'm the pastor here, and that was Nate McCartney leading worship, and uh, we're glad to have that. Can I have a little more light in the room? It'd be awesome so I can see some people's faces. Um, one day, um, we're going to be in heaven. Well, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be in heaven, and you just experience <clears throat> 19 minutes of worship. And up there, it's going to be just a little bit longer. There'll be a lot of stuff going on, right? We'll be worshiping, and um, hands will be raised. I'm not making fun of anybody or telling you what to do here. I'm just saying everybody's hand's going to be raised. Uh, we're, nobody be concerned if they're Pentecostal or awkward or whatever. We're just all going to be raising our hands to Jesus. And then at, at certain points and times, we're all going to be on our knees and bowed right down before him and singing. And that's going to be amazing. And it's millions upon millions of people that will have their hand raised. So if you, if you imagine that for a moment, <clears throat> who in the world puts together that worship service? You know, who's going to be the leader of that particular worship service? Who's going to start it? Who's going to say, uh, here are the words? Is there projection? Is there not projection? I mean, what's, what's going to happen in heaven? This is what I do know. The songs we sing, sing down here, not going not gonna to be up there. Well, except for maybe Revelation song. That one may be up there, Revelation song, stuff like that. But think about that. We will be singing brand new songs, and we will not have to learn them. Like, wow, that's a new one. But somehow I know it. And all of a sudden, we'll be worshiping together with millions and millions of voices and praise to Almighty God. I don't know if you've ever been to a, <clears throat> a larger worship service than this one, but I've been in the Coliseum before here in town, in Greensboro Coliseum, and, and I've heard people sing um, worship songs, and that's tens of thousands, and that's a pretty amazing sound and it, and it really gets you going. I can't imagine millions of people raising their hands and singing and those voices. God is, is going to be awesome and then you have that and it's, it's just going to be great. So nonetheless, that was, nine, that was just 19 minutes and in heaven it's just going to be better. Yeah, I'm not saying that was bad. That didn't sound right. That was really good. <clears throat> that was really good. What I'm saying is, in heaven, it's with perfection. And I, I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to that. I think it's funny. Um, sometimes churches and people and, and worship teams try to get it absolutely perfect. And there's no way you can, you can do this stuff absolutely perfect. There, there's no way. I mean, you can program it all you want to and try to have all your P's and Q's together perfect. There's no way. Because if you start measuring your perfection with heaven... We're just not going to get there. We're just not going to get there. But we do the best we can. And that was an incredible worship service. So enough of that. We're in Leviticus. <clears throat> this is our 10th sermon in the book of Leviticus. And um, 
I'm not excited to tell you this, but this, this is our final one for this section of Leviticus. We're going to take about a five to six week break, forget how many weeks it is, and then we'll be right back into it. Um, someone at, after the service asked me, why do we take a break? Well, one, I do pray through these things, and there's a set of sermons coming that I feel like should be on those particular Sundays. But the second reason is I got to the next part of Leviticus, and I don't know, it, it took me some time to, to weed through that. The next series, not to give it away, but I'm going to give it away, um, is uh, Deep Weeds is what it's called. And so anyway, it's going to be a couple of weeks. So uh, that's that. So this is going to a wrap up of the, of the first part of our Leviticus series. And if you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 10, that would be awesome. <clears throat> now, in regards to the to the Leviticus so far, we've had a series called Meet Us Here, which I never told you that that was the series you were in, never told you that, but it was basically God coming to earth because he wanted you to be able to meet with him. And so he came down, set up the tabernacle so that people could commune with him, and then he set up a certain order in a certain way that people could approach him in holiness. The second one, of course, is this one, and it's, it's um, priests today, which there were priests back then that were called, and we are priests today because we've been called as well. So this is the final one of that series as well as the, as the um, Leviticus so far. Um, this book is about reordering the world. We need to keep that in mind as we start looking at chapter 10, verse 1. What has happened is there's some slaves that have been freed from slavery, and they have no rules to live by. Absolutely no rules to live by. So God comes in and says, I'm going to create a nation that revolves around me, and this is the way I want that nation to act and live and breathe. I've freed them from slavery. They now have freedom, and these are the steps that you take in order to be an ordered society. So he started to reorder them, um, reorder the world in that particular regard. So that said, let's read chapter 10, verse 1. It says this, <clears throat> Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron, the father of the two people that just lost their lives, held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Ezephaphan and you. <laughs> Uziel, that's not how you say that, but anyway, the uncle of Aaron and said to them, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. Now I want to pause there a moment. Um, when I was a kid, I'm not going to get into the story. But I was burned. I was burned on, on the bottom portion of my legs. I have scarring from those burns. It was third degree burned. It was back in the day where you had fire 
proof or retardant clothing. Does anybody remember that? Like nobody does? Some people do? Yeah. So my parents, for some reason, not that I played with fire, but bought me these fireproof jeans. Like they would not burn. And so when I burned, got burned on the inside of my legs, my jeans did not burn at all because of the fire retardant or whatever they put on it that caused those jeans not to burn. In fact, um, after I got out of the hospital, was 29 days in the hospital and then back home, I actually wore those jeans again because they did not burn when it burnt my legs. Isn't that amazing? Well, in this passage of scripture, long before fire, fireproof jeans, these guys are wearing clothing and God sends fire out to kill them, but it doesn't burn the clothes that they are wearing. See, if you read this too quickly, you will think that um, it's the priest that came in with their clothes and they wrapped them and carried them out, but that's not what happened. God didn't burn the clothing. Why didn't God burn the clothing? Because the priests that had to come in to get the people could not touch a dead body or they would be unclean. But they could touch the clothing that had been anointed and sanctified for the work of the tabernacle. And so the clothing didn't burn and they came in and they picked up the guys and they carried them out of not only the tabernacle, but also of, of the um, the camp as well. Isn't that amazing? By the way, this means that when a Jew, a Jewish person, read Daniel chapter three, and they heard that three guys went into a furnace and their clothing didn't burn, they were already familiar with that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So the God... Yeah, God just burned, burned them up. It's, it's just absolutely remarkable. I mean, it's not remarkable that they died, okay? But it's remarkable that these clothes were miraculously just kept the way that they are. Okay, verse six. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithmar, that his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes. By the way, he's telling them not to show signs that they are mourning, so these two guys are the brothers of the two that just died. And he's also tearing Aaron not to dishovel his hair or tear his clothes. Do not mourn. Lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers and the whole house of Israel be well the burning that the Lord kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. <clears throat> This, this is an just an odd story. I'm not going to say amazing. This is just an odd story. This is actually the first narrative that we have in Leviticus, and it's the only narrative story that we have in Leviticus. It's the only one that we have. Why include this? Well, because it was a tragedy that happened. And these two individuals that took this strange fire into the tabernacle you need to understand that for seven days they had been consecrated and ordained as priests of the Lord. And on the eighth day, they decided to do things differently than what, the, what God wanted them to do. And, and so why, why this strange fire? Why this incense? Why this 
rush punishment that burned them up but kept their clothes okay, that killed them. Why did God do this? So let's unpack that a little bit. I want to first say in a kind of a, a broad spectrum, a broad scope, that God is a God of order. He's a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. So if you think through, let's, let's say all the way back to Genesis chapter one, where he created the world, okay? He created everything that we see. God created everything with its own kind. So light and darkness, water and land, he separated it. He made a distinction between light and darkness. He made a distinction between water and a distinction between land. Not only did he do that, but he also said, hey, <clears throat> we're going to put stars in, stars in space and galaxies in space and all this kind of stuff. Now, in that, you don't really see necessarily the different types of planets and stuff in that text. But what you do see is there's something different about stars than it is about planet Earth. There is a distinction between the two. So then he starts creating plants, trees, grass, flowers. He starts creating um, cactuses and all kinds of different uh, plants that we probably don't even have today because they're dead. Okay? Because that's the way things are, they're dead. So he created all these things. And in that passage where he's talking about creating these plants, he's saying that they will reproduce after their kind. So what that means is a tree will not be able to produce a blade of grass. And a blade of grass will not be able to produce a flower. And a flower will not be able to start a grape orchard. It, it just won't happen. When they reproduce, they reproduce flowers. They reproduce as trees. They reproduce as plants. Everything has a distinction and everything has a kind. So you go a little bit further. In that same day, he creates sea creatures. Sea creatures. Now, these aren't the creatures that can walk on land and water. These are just water, aqua uh, creatures. And they're all after their kind. And in that text, it says that these creatures reproduce after their kind. In other words, a shark will not produce a jellyfish. It's, it's impossible for that to happen. The jellyfish is gonna be its own stinging thing and the shark is gonna eat you, you know, that sort of deal. There, there's gonna be uh, plants which are already there. A, a shark's not gonna be able to produce a plant. It's each got its distinction. And so everything reproduces after its kind. So then God says, man, uh, the next day we need, Something on land. So, well, it's not the next day. He creates these birds, right? And birds fly through the air. They're different than sea creatures. He wants you to know that because he says birds that fly in the air and the sea creatures. And he creates these birds. So a bird can't be a fish and a fish can't be a bird. And then he goes to land animals, actual land animals, like elephants and dinosaurs, because dinosaurs actually existed. They, they walked around. And dinosaurs actually walked around with humans. I'm sure you would want to avoid a couple of them if you are a human. I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a couple of them that you would want to avoid, um, you know, as a human. But nonetheless, a human, which he also made, cannot produce a dinosaur. A dinosaur can't produce a dog and a dog can't produce a cat. 
which we have questions about cats when we get to heaven. Why did you create cats? Why are they here? I don't know. Um, but anyway, you, you have these cats, and cats can't reproduce. Everything reproduces after its kind. And then what he did was he created humans, which are totally different than any other creation. Now, you might have a relative that looks like a monkey, but they didn't come from a monkey. All right? They are distinctively different. And God created them and told them to multiply after their kind because God is a God of order and there's distinctions between all the creations. So let me just pause here a moment and I just want to say this. And I know this isn't culturally popular. I know that. But this is the Bible and this is what God says. If you are born a boy, you are supposed to grow up to be a man. And if you are born a girl, you are supposed to grow up to be a lady. You do not get to choose which one you want to be. God, who created you, chose that for you. Now, there are times in life where as you grow up, you struggle with what that means to be a man. There, there are feelings attached to that. It's called developing, and I'm not going to get into that because it would be very awkward, and it's just not what the message is about, but there's stuff that you struggle with. The focal point God wants you to know is he created you as a boy. You struggle with that as you become a man, and he created you to be a girl, and you struggle with things as you become a lady. And you stay on those two paths. That is the order of the world. Anytime we try to mix that up, it creates chaos and then confusion. And then, and then people start playing basketball that shouldn't be playing basketball with girls. And it's just, it's just ongoing and there's great confusion and it's just not fair. Okay? Because God created this that way. So God has these distinctions and he's very serious about these distinctions. Very serious about them. So to illustrate kind of um, what happens when we, when we go away from distinctions. I've asked uh, Seth to come up and help me with something real quick. All right, Seth has chosen some songs that we're going to play today. And um, you just need to tell me the song and the key, and I'll be able to keep up. All right. Let's do How Great Is Our God. Since we got this whole creation thing going on, I think okay. we fit How Great Is Our God, the key of G. Okay. Sound good? Go ahead. The splendor of the king. Hey, G. Key of G. Yeah, I, I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, I'm, G, G chord. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling okay. it. All right. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Sorry. One, two, three. The splendor of my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Um, that's not even the same song. Oh, sorry. Um, do you want to do maybe a different song? Should I pick a different one? Yeah, pick a different one. Okay, how about... I'm sorry you don't know that that well, but... I know. Uh, what, how He Loves Us. You like that one. How He Loves Us? Yeah. yeah. Let's okay. do that one. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm trying to 
remember how that one goes. He is jealous for me. Loves like a bird. I am a tree. So, so it's G, <laughs> E minor, D. And then F. C. Okay, I've been playing C. Okay, okay yeah, good. I've been right. playing C. Okay. Um, okay. Let's start from the top. Yeah, start right. from the top. He is I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice in worship you, oh my soul. What if we go to the course? Do you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, Okay, here we go. He sings my soul by Savior God. Okay, they got it. Do you see how that doesn't even connect? Like it doesn't even go together. I am playing in the key of C. He is playing in the key of G. Now what you may or may not know about the key of G and C is that G and C have two chords that are the same, C and G. It's that other chord that gives you problems and it's also the fact that his is gonna start with G and mine's gonna start with, well, it's gonna end with G. His is gonna end with G and mine's gonna end with C. So it's never going to really be exactly what it needs to be. Do you need? Nothing is going to be in harmony at that point. Now, I am immensely talented when it comes to how great is our God. Because I'm one of the few people in the world that can play it in 4-4 time when it's written in 6-8. Now, if you don't know anything about music, those are two totally different uh, times. Like, 6-8 is one, two, three. One, two, three. And I go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I mean, it's just not, yeah. But the reason I can do that is because that's how I play it on my front porch with nobody, and it sounds fine. But when I'm up here and I'm trying to play and everybody else is in 6-8 and I'm in 4-4, it causes problems with the band. Are you tracking? Because we're not particularly in harmony. Give Seth a hand for for doing this for us. So here's the deal. When you and I do not follow what the Bible says for us to follow when it comes to our lives... We are out of rhythm and out of harmony with God. And it sounds terrible. Just because I feel like playing in a different key when someone else is playing, just because I feel like singing different words than they're singing, doesn't mean it's going to come across right. In fact, it's wrong. You have to be in unity. And see, God has taken a lot of effort to come down here. He has put a lot of time into his redemption plan, his plan of redemption. He has put together a set and a series of ways that you and I can be holy as he is holy. And anytime we decide to live in a different way than what he's prescribed is a moment that we're in disharmony with the creator with the one that wants to have a relationship with us. And we cannot meet with him if we are beating to our own drum, if we are playing our own tune. Jesus Christ has earned the right to tell you how to live. 
Jesus Christ has earned the right to say, this is holiness and this is how you live in holiness. He's earned that right. And if we follow anybody in this world, it should be him. We spend way too much time trying to be in harmony with other people over here. People that are sinning, people that are doing things that are against scripture, that are in disunity to the scripture, people that are messing around with strange fire. Do you know why this fire was strange? It was strange because these people did not get it from the altar. They got it from somewhere else. Now there are pages and pages and pages written on where these two got this fire from. I'm gonna tell you, nobody knows. In my little mind, I'm like, yeah, they woke up, they had scrambled eggs, bacon, dinner on the fire. They had their little sensor with them. They picked up a coal, stuck it in there, made it to the temple. Oh, did you get your, yeah, I got my coal from home. This is gonna be great. They brought some, some scents from home, not common sense, but just some fragrance. What's that candle company? Yankee Candle. Yeah, Yankee Candle. You know all those scents that they have? Some of them are horrible. Some of them are good, right? Some you want to smell in your home. Like, I'm not really sure. It was a Yankee that thought of this. <laughs> Clean clothes smell. If I want to smell that, I'm going to wash my clothes, right? I don't need a candle to remind me of what that smells like. Why is it there like a Southern Candle company, you know, with like bacon as a, as a smell? I don't, I don't understand that. Something we can agree on down here in the South. But no, these Yankee people, you know, you're like, yeah, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. Anyway, they brought in foreign Yankee smells. I'm in the South. Come on, if you're watching somewhere else, this is a joke. They brought in these foreign smells that they weren't supposed to bring in. See, in Exodus, it tells you exactly the scent that you're supposed to create. It tells you the recipe, how to do it, and how to burn it. It tells you to take the coal out of the altar. It says to put it in that, in that little chain. It's on the end of a chain. Put it in that. Put the scents on top of it and wave it around. And that is the smell that is pleasing to God. Not what you feel like doing that morning. You don't take a coal from over here. You don't take your own scent that you like. You don't bring it into uh, the room and allow that to spread. God does not want that. And the reason it was foreign is because their fire wasn't holy. It couldn't be holy. It didn't come from God. God started the fire in the altar. And they thought that their fire should be equal to his fire. So they just brought it in. Do you know what else they did that they shouldn't have done? They actually decided that they were just as good as their dad, who was the high priest. Do you realize that it's only the high priest that is supposed to be carrying the censers into the tabernacle? So these jokers they decide, hey, let's take this and we'll take our own incense and we'll enter into the sanctuary and do the job of the high priest. Nobody will really mind. Dad won't care. And so they wave it around and they wave, they do all this and they took a position that they were not qualified to take. A position of authority. A position that they should have been following rather than usurping 
So they have this fire because they felt like it. They have this sense because they like the way it smells better. And they took it upon themselves to be something that they were not supposed to be. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are priests in this world. And every time we participate in sin, every time we are bringing strange fire into the house of God, we are burning an incense that stinks to him. And we're taking a position of moral authority that we should not be in because we feel like we know better than God. Man, that's heavy, isn't it? Sometimes we get with a group of friends and they ask these questions like, why do you do that that way? Why don't you do this? This is not that bad. And you start to listen to them. And they tap into this thing where we want to be accepted. We want to be accepted by people. It's, it's really, it's really a, a mechanism God has placed inside of you so that you would search for him. Did you know that? You're, you're wanting a relationship because you're missing a relationship. That relationship you're missing is with God. And then once you have that, you can have relationships with others. It's a mechanism inside. But what often happens is, is that mechanism is manipulated by sinful ways in our flesh, and we begin to say, well, I just want to fit in. I want them to accept me. So we start doing things that they approve of, this group of people over here. All the while, they're di- it's different than the commands of Scripture and the way that he wants to order the world. So it's, it's really like we, we stay here. Recently in our culture, <clears throat> and I'm not, this isn't a political statement, I'm just telling you facts and giving you an illustration People that think differently than certain political people are called Neanderthals. That means that they're antiquated in their thinking. They're archaic in their thinking. They are a stupid because they don't understand the culture now and they're unintelligent. How many times have people in our culture been convinced to do something because they don't want to be seen as, uh, from others as being stupid or unintelligent or moronic. And instead of saying, no, this is what the word of God says and this is what I'm gonna stand for, they adjust their belief systems so that they can fit in with this group over here. And the moment they do that is the moment they have a strange fire. They no longer want the fire of God to burn in their soul for holiness purposes so that this fire will make them holy. They want to rather fit in over here and be thought of as good people by this group of people who will not die for them. This group of people will not put their lives on the line for you. The people are trying to please, But this God of scripture has put his life on the line for us and saved our soul and redeemed us. I'm on his team. This is the team I want to be on. This is the team I want to follow. This is the direction I want to follow even when I do not understand what in the world he is doing. So you and I as priests can can actually bring strange fire into the presence of God. The way that we do that is every time that we disobey the word of God. Every time. Every time. Um, Distinctions matter. They're very important. Here's a couple of verses. 
For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This is Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. By the way, this verse is not to the Aaronic priesthood, Aaronic priesthood. This is a verse to the children of Israel. They're supposed to be the holy people. This parallels with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 that says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into light. You will bring strange fire into the presence of God every time you determine within yourselves to live in darkness. But if you live in the light... You'll always bring the appropriate fire, the appropriate incense, the appropriate priesthood into his presence when you live in his marvelous light. Now, how many of you know what the third commandment is? Anybody? Third commandment. I know you're rolling them through your brain. Like, which is the third? Okay, I'll give it to you. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's it. Now, this is often termed that I shouldn't, like when I get hurt, shout his name out, right? I should never use his name incorrectly. However, that word take there is not the word for proclamation. It's something totally different. In fact, it comes from a word in Hebrew that is pronounced now Saul. So say that to your neighbor, now Saul. Now Saul. However, in English, <laughs> it's pronounced NASA. That's what it's pronounced. That's how it's pronounced. So this word means this. It means to lift to carry, to take somewhere. It means to lift, to carry, to take somewhere. Now, I do not know if NASA had a Bible parable. I have no clue if that's what happened. Um, in, 19, in 1957, um, NASA was actually NACA. It was a different company. And then they changed it to NASA, NASA. But I don't know. I don't know if that's it. But what I do know is that NASA in Hebrew means to lift, to carry, and to take somewhere. So back to that screen that has the third commandment, it really says this, thou shalt not carry the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God with your life in vain. Thou shalt not live in such a way that you are a poor reflection upon who God is. Oh my goodness, that is different, isn't it? All of a sudden, we're not worried about if we, you know, accidentally say God at the wrong moment or with the wrong inflection or Jesus. By the way, there's other scripture that tell you not to do that, but that's not the lesson today, right? This one is you are a priest and you carry the name of God with you. 
You know, I'm going to tell you right now that God is absolutely the epitome of wisdom. Okay? There's no one greater in his wisdom. There's no one greater in his knowledge. He's unmatched. In fact, everything I know, he already knows. I never tell God something that he doesn't know. I never give God a piece of wisdom that he hasn't already thought of. In fact, everything I have, he is really him. Are you tracking? I do not understand this. Why in the world would God wrap his reputation around what I do and how I act? Why in the world would a holy, righteous God wrap his reputation around you and how you act? I mean, I know you, right? I, I, know, I know who you are. I, I don't know everything you've done, but I've done know some things. You know me. I mean, why, why would God say, hey, um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stake my reputation on Philip Brand, on Nicole Brand, on... Um, the people in this room at Farmington Baptist Church. I'm going to let them be my representatives. I'm going to let them be the priests. I'm going to let them be the one that represents who I am to the entire world. I mean, wouldn't it be easier and better if God just showed up and we could see him? I think that would be a lot better than him wrapping his reputation in me. A person that falls, a person that doesn't always do the right thing. I think it'd be better than him wrapping his reputation up in you too. I mean, I love you, but he would be better at it, right? But he does. What an amazing thing. What an amazing responsibility for us to carry the name of God. You see, I, I have two children. You know that. One's named Aurora. And presently, she's, she's doing great. But, you know, I pray because I know that there's other stuff out there in the world. And I know other stuff that she could be tempted with. And if she ever went down that road, and I pray that she doesn't. But if she ever went down that road, who do you think that would reflect upon? Nicole and me. It would reflect upon us and our parenting. They're our children and Aurora is either going to reflect positively on us or she's going to reflect negatively upon us. It is just a fact of life. It is the risk we all take when we decide to have the little baby. I have a son, 18 years old. He's becoming a man. Yeah, he's graduating this year. It's crazy how time flies. Currently, very proud of him, very proud of the man that he has become, very proud of his at least dedication to church, dedication to the Bible, dedication to stuff like that. But, you know, what if when he's 19, he goes a different direction? I pray against that all the time. I do. But it's a possibility. It's a possibility that he could possibly stretch. What in the world? Well, that will reflect upon myself and Nicole. That's who it's going to reflect upon. Where did we get that concept that when a child does something wrong, that it reflects upon the parents. We got that from God. You and I, as his children, 
If we do wrong, we reflect upon the holiness of who God really is. And if we do right, we reflect upon the holiness and the righteousness of God of, of who he really is. Why is it such a big deal for a strange fire to be brought into the tabernacle, for bad incense to be brought into the tabernacle, for taking a position that you're not supposed to be taken and doing something that you're not designed to do or called to do? Why is that such an important thing? Because when you do that, you're disobeying all the reordering, all the distinctions that God has laid out for you. And you're doing your own thing and you're immediately in disharmony with the God who saved you. Wow, that's, that's heavy, isn't it? You know, it's at this point in the sermon that I wish I could be a little lighter. And, I, and I've thought for a year and a half now, trying to figure out how to make this particular sermon a little lighter at this point. There is no way to do it because the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and your representation of that and my representation of that is a heavy, heavy burden to bear, to, to bear on our shoulders. But thanks be to God who gives us the strength to do it. Thanks be to God who saved us from our sins and declared us righteous, declared us holy, set us in that position. And all we have to do is to the best of our ability, follow what scripture says to do and obey his commands in the way that he is reordering our world. Man, distinctions are very important and God has wrapped himself up into you. We are his representation. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we do this job? Well, a lot of ways. But in verse 8, chapter 10, it says this. The Lord spoke to Aaron. By the way, this is the only time in Leviticus where the Lord speaks to Aaron. Verse 9 says, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die shall be a statue forever throughout your generations. So first he says, if you're gonna be a priest of mine, don't be intoxicated. That's what he's saying, don't be intoxicated. Now immediately we go to like strong drink and that's absolutely true. He is saying strong drink, but he's also saying a couple of other things too. He's saying, don't be intoxicated with strong drink. Don't be intoxicated with anger. Don't be intoxicated with jealousy. Don't be intoxicated with any other sin and do those sins. Be holy as I am holy. Are you tracking? You see, you and I can be intoxicated with anger. We can get so angry we want to strike out at somebody. We can get so angry we want to say something to somebody and we say it anyway because we're so intoxicated that we're not really considering what those words will do, not only to that individual, but the people around us. We are not considering what will happen to our representation of God in this world if we allow anger to intoxicate us and act in unholy ways. Lust is the same way. You can be intoxicated with lust. 
And lust can lead you down a road to do things that you should not be doing as a priest of God, where you are bringing in unholy fire and inappropriate smells into the presence of God just because you're intoxicated, just because you want to do it, just because you can't get it off your mind. You have to act on it. You're intoxicated with it. And it says right here, a priest should never be intoxicated with anything because once you're intoxicated, you do not think correctly. Make no mistake. If you drink a lot, it inhibits the way that you think. I've, I've seen people that have had too much to drink. When I was in Kentucky, one showed up at my house. Bless his heart. And I mean that. Normally, I mean that as a joke, but really, I mean, bless the man's heart. He, he was saved three weeks earlier. He, he played the bass. Um, not in the church yet. We're trying to get him discipled and, and on that road. But nonetheless, he showed up at my house. I was amazed at what was in his back seat. He drove into my, my, um, <laughs> my driveway and just didn't make it didn't make it into the driveway. He, he could not figure out where he was at, though he was at my house. We took him home. I drove his car home. I cleaned it out before I took it anywhere. You know, with pastors, people take pictures. Right. So cleaned it out, got him back home. But man, it, the intoxication just got, it, it, it just changes the way that you think. Like you don't think correctly. Anger does the same thing. You're intoxicated with anger. You do not think correctly. I guarantee you, when you are intoxicated by anger, you're not thinking about love, grace, mercy, or peace. You're thinking about judgment, punishment, winning. That's what you're thinking about. When you think about love or or lust, you're not thinking about love. You're thinking about other things. You're thinking about self-satisfaction getting what you desire. It's not about other people. The lust isn't when you follow that. When you think about jealousy, you're not thinking about the other person and how great they're doing and being excited for them and supporting them. What you're thinking about is you want their position, you want what they have and you're jealous of them and you're not sure why you wasn't chosen for that position. You're intoxicated and you can't live. So it's strange fire And in essence, what I'm telling you is every time you're intoxicated to do sin, you are living in a world of death. You're basically a zombie walking around with no direction. But if you live according to God, the way that he's ordering the world, you have life. Scripture says this very clearly. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with what? The Spirit. What is the ordination process? It's to get them ready to have the Spirit of God inside of them so that they can minister to people, right? There's sacrifices involved. There's there's things involved. There's God's presence involved. You and I have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We should not be getting intoxicated with sin, intoxicated with drink, intoxicated with anything. We should be filled with the Spirit so that we can be 
adequate representations of God in this world and ministering to people so that they know how to get to God and how to meet with him. People need to understand that there's a different, better way to live than what they are being taught in the world system. They need to know that the God that loved them has the way written right here. Some people will say sometimes, well, this is antiquated. That's just old school. That's just traditional. I'm here to tell you this morning, that has been good for 6,000 years. And it's my opinion and my belief, and I think this is a fact, that word right there is going to be good for all of eternity. It is the living word of God. It's never going to go out of date, regardless of what you think over here. And how you think things should go over here because you feel that way. God has given us instructions so we know how to live. So he continues here and he unpacks this whole thing in verse 10. He says, you are to distinguish between holy and the common. And between the unclean and the clean. So you distinguish between what is right to do and what is wrong to do what is holy and what isn't holy. He tells you to be aware of that in your life. And then he says, and you shall teach it to people of Israel, all the statues that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. This means, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I as priests need to be teachers. And that teaching starts in your home. So we have Awana here. It's a great thing. I love Awana. I love... Everything that Awana does, getting scripture into these people's hearts. We have fuel for the teenagers. I think it's awesome. I think Seth does a good job, and so does all those leaders. Leaders in Awana are, are the best of the best, I believe. I think there should be more of the best joining the group, because I see them here on Sunday, and I think they should join the group and be a part of a movement. But, you know, it's available. God's waiting. But teaching the word comes from mom and dad. Them passing it down to their children and watching their children. Watching how they're acting and being very aware of how they act and making sure that how they act lines up with scripture. This means that it is okay to spy on your children and what they are doing on their devices. I think the open window in a lot of people's homes are phones and computers and and things they can get to on the internet. I think it's an open window for stuff to come into your home that is against this word. And you as parents, the way to teach is we're going to block this because there's some things in the world that God doesn't want you to be exposed to. And we're going to talk about those things. And you talk to them over the course of time that you're raising them at, at certain ages and stuff, and you talk to them about that. Why can't I have TikTok? Well, here's why. TikTok has this and that and the other. Why can't I do this? Well, because you're not ready. Why do I have these restrictions on my phone? Because you need these restrictions, because right now you need to learn what the Bible says, and you need to learn how to be holy as God is holy. And so you control that. It is okay to control that and use it as a teaching It's not a weapon. It's not a punishment weapon. It's not, uh, I'm doing this because we're going to be secluded and you never tell them anything. It's not that you teach them the scriptures. You see, they need to distinguish 
be able to distinguish between what is holy and what's not holy, what's clean and what's not clean. They need to know how to do that. And so you are the one that is supposed to teach those sort of things. That's what you're supposed to teach. So husbands, you're supposed to be teaching your wives and your children. Wives, you're supposed to be a light to your husband as well. There are things that he needs to know from you that God is doing. And then we teach other people outside of here when it's appropriate or not appropriate. We proclaim the truths of Scripture to say that is not exactly right. In fact, that isn't right. And we teach people why this isn't correct. And don't let people suck you into this where you're not caring, you're not loving, you're not, because that is absolutely a lie from the devil, and it's being used to deceive you so that you will not tell people what the truths of the word of God is. Now, should you be loving when you teach people? Absolutely, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Do it without love, you might as well be throwing some symbols around. But you teach, you teach people the scriptures. I think one of the reasons that Aaron was silent is because he had already told them that they should not bring that fire into the tabernacle. Right? And they did it. And he saw the consequence. But guess what? The other two sons made sure that they never did. <laughs> Trust me. So God in his judgment with these two people actually sent a signal out to everybody that saw it to say, hey, I mean business and you need to do this correctly. And so they followed suit. We need to be appropriate representatives as priests of a holy God because he says, be holy as I am holy. I'm gonna end with this. It's two things I'm in with. First of all, it's amazing to me how quickly the children of Israel left the law and they started doing things their own way. And every time they did that, they were attacked, they were captured, and they were made slaves. They were attacked, captured, and made slaves. Every time you decide to not live a holy priesthood before God, you are captured, taken over, and you become a slave again. Does God bring you back? Absolutely. Do you lose your salvation? Absolutely not. But every time you decide not to live according to this book, you're becoming a slave to the very thing that Jesus died to save you from. So don't go back. Last, have you ever bought a used car? Ever look for a used car? I had that wonderful experience about a year ago because people keep hitting me. So I went all over South Carolina trying to find a car. Could not find a car. Uh, there's a specific car I want, so don't think. Yeah. So you go to these car places, and some of the cars barely start. Like you don't have to be a mechanic to know that that's not a good car. Like when you start the car up, I said in this one car, I started it up, and the Mirror fell to the floor, right? When I shut the door, the door handle came with me. You know, it, it, 
doesn't take a rocket scientist to know, hey, this might not be the vehicle I want, right? And when the car goes, and it has that, yeah, that's something. I don't know if it's pistons or something, but something's hitting. You know, it's just not a good car. It's just a used car. The reason I'm bringing that up is because God has went to the used car lot to call priests into the priesthood. Because I'm banking on when you were saved, you were just like me. There are all kinds of things falling apart. My engine was not running correctly. And he said, I want that one. I'm putting my money down on that one. I'm going to buy that one with my blood. And he drew me to salvation. And he is continually fixing me on the inside. If there's no other reason, ladies and gentlemen, to live for Jesus as a good representative of him, do it because you used to be a used car and you're on your way to become a brand new one. Come on, church. There's no other reason to live for him. Let that be your reason. I love it. (laughs) Sorry. She has on a NASA shirt. You know what I think you should do? I think everybody in this room should get on Amazon and buy themselves a NASA shirt. And they should start wearing it around. Right? They should just start wearing it around. You know why? Everybody's going to think you're some type of science geek and you like people going to outer space, but this is what you will know on the inside. I am a carrier of the holiness of God to the world, NASA. So go buy yourself a NASA shirt this week. I would stamp Farmington Baptist on the back of it if I could, but that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for the seriousness of it. 